All right, well, let's take our Bibles this evening. <clears throat> let's take our Bibles this evening and go back to the book of Galatians, okay? Galatians chapter 2 is where we will be. Galatians chapter 2 this evening. And uh, kind of a phrase that I was reading through some different material and book and whatnot, and a phrase that kind of stuck out to me that I kind of want to hit on, bring out, draw out from this portion of Scripture, okay? But as you find your place in Galatians chapter 2, we'll start in verse 11, read down through verse 21. But as you find your place there, I do want you to keep the overall view, bird's eye view, if you will, of this book in mind. Because every time you come to it, you need to be reminded that Paul is the human penman of his letter, but is writing to the churches in the region of Galatia. Keep in mind, it's a region, not just one church. There's many churches of, uh, in Galatia, all right? So therefore, many Christians in this area as well. But he's writing to the churches for this main reason and main purpose, because false teachers that we have labeled Judaizers have come to this area, have begun to creep into these churches and teach a false gospel. It's another gospel that's not the same true gospel, all right? But it's a false gospel. They've come, and it's this, of a false gospel of adding works to the finished work of Jesus Christ. And they were adding rituals and rules to the gospel. And according to the Judaizers, if you didn't follow fully these rituals and these rules, then truly, you truly could not be truly born again. So, in teaching a false gospel, these false teachers were perverting the pure gospel of Jesus Christ, and in turn, causing great chaos in the hearts and minds of God's people. So, with all this going on, with this understanding coming to the attention of Paul, Paul lovingly, uh, sternly, passionately picks up his pen and declares the true gospel and defends the true gospel of Lord Jesus Christ. All right, so that's why we have this book of Galatians, okay? So keep all that in mind. So let's continue our study through this book together, all right? We'll be in Galatians chapter 2, and we're going to lay in mainly in verse number 20. But just before we read this verse together, uh, I want to get the immediate context of this chapter, okay? So keep in mind in chapter 2, uh, Paul is writing to the Galatians about a time when Peter was in Antioch, okay? And no doubt this would have been a very incredible opportunity for the Gentile believers in the churches of Antioch at this moment because they now have the mighty apostle Peter with them. Because remember, it's Peter who was part of the inner circle. It was Peter who was part of the big three of the 12 disciples. Remember who they were? It's Peter... James, John, all right. It's Peter, James, and John, the big three out of the 12, okay? But uh, it was Peter who physically walked with Jesus for three years. It was Peter who saw the miracles of Christ with his own eyes. It was Peter who he himself was part of these miracles, who God used him mightily to, to uh, help orchestrate some of these miracles. The ones I'm thinking of is the feeding of the 5,000. He's all the disciples. And Peter had been one of the disciples, of course, being used of the Lord. But it's also Peter who saw Jesus transform there on the Mount of Transfiguration, seeing the glory of Lord Jesus Christ. And it was Peter who was in that same moment that got to see Moses and Elijah. In that same moment, it was Peter who got to hear the very voice of God the Father. 
Look, Peter has experienced more than any other, just about any other believer, any other Christian to set foot on this earth. But Peter is now, is now in Antioch. And so Peter has come, and no doubt they have many questions for him. They want to hear about the teaching and more teaching and preaching of Lord Jesus Christ. No doubt they want to hear more of the miracles, more of what Jesus was like, more of what he, what he did, and this, that, and the other. And no doubt they clung to every word that Peter would have uh, preached, that it would have taught, whatever. They would have clung to every sermon, every message, every lesson. They would have just clung to every word that Peter said. But in the process of this fellowshipping with these Gentile believers, here comes the Judaizers from Jerusalem. They came to the same place where Peter was fellowshipping with these, with these Galatian believers, I'm sorry, with these Gentile believers, and the presence, the presence of these Judaizers, the presence of these Jews there put Peter in fear, Galatians 2 and verse number 12. It put him in fear. And because Peter was eating and fellowshipping with the Gentiles, this fear of man caused Peter to begin to do this. Listen, here's what Peter began to do. He began to drift. He began to drift away from what he knew was right. He knew it was fine to fellowship with these guys. He knew it was fine to eat with the Gentile believers. He knew it was fine to fellowship with these Gentile dogs, as the Jews would call them. Because of what, what uh, the Lord Jesus already taught him, that they, they're all one in Christ. There's, there's not a, a superior Jew, an inferior Gentile, all right? No, we're all one in Jesus Christ. He knew this, Romans chapter 10, verse 12. He knew this. He knew it was right, but he began to drift from that. Why? Because he removed himself from the fellowship of these Antioch Christians. Began to remove himself, remember? Because of the fear. But he began to drift when it was right. He began to drift from the faith that is in Jesus Christ. He began to drift from that. He knew keeping the law didn't bring about salvation. He knew that salvation was by grace through faith in Christ alone. He knew this, but understand something. Peter began to drift. And I want us all to understand this truth this evening. There is a danger in drifting. There's a big danger in drifting. Understand, drifting is a very subtle thing. It's so subtle that the one drifting may not even know they are drifting. So if you're taking notes this evening, the title of the message is simply this, The Danger of Drifting. The Danger of Drifting. As I was studying for this message this evening, I came across this story of a group of folks who were taking a routine trip from the state of Maine to Florida in their fancy yacht, all right? But the story goes something like this. There's a group of five friends that began to sail from Maine to Florida. And before leaving Maine on that first morning, the weather reports indicated the seas were safe for sailing. So they sailed on. However, by the second night into the trip, the waves were cresting above 35 to 45 feet. And the winds were staying between 70 and 90 knots. And during his storm, two of the five friends named Brad and Deborah were both attentively watching the storms while the others began to drink. And for the next 11 hours, Brad and Deborah watched the destructive and turbulent conditions till finally the other three said they were sober enough to keep watch so that Brad and Deborah could get some rest. Soon, Brad and Deborah's rest ceased as they were awakened by the rising waters now inside the yacht. 
You see, the boat began to take on water after the other three had fallen asleep on their duty. And the ship began to drift deeper into the stormy seas and eventually sunk. But for the next few days, the crew lived on an inflatable rescue boat, suffering through many different adverse conditions. They began to drift further and further, just clinging to hope that someone would soon rescue them. Within just a few short days, though, the three that had gotten him into this situation by falling asleep on their duty, they died, leaving Brad and Deborah to continue to drift in the Atlantic Ocean all by themselves. After four more miserable days on a rescue raft, Brad and Deborah were finally rescued by a Russian ship that took them to the U.S. Coast Guard. And Brad and Deborah lived to tell the dangers of drifting at sea. Now, I cannot imagine what these folks went through, went, went through their hearts, went through their minds. I can't imagine the danger and the terror of drifting at sea. We were just at the beach a little over a week ago, and that is a vast thing to behold. You know what? Looking out the ocean, just seeing for miles and seeing nothing. I couldn't imagine drifting in a vast ocean, seeing nothing, clinging just but a speck of hope, but just simply drifting at the mercy of the waves and the current of the ocean. I can't imagine that. And I hope I never have to go through something like that. But I'm here to tell you today, there's a greater danger in drifting, not on the sea, but really drifting in our spiritual lives as we allow the winds of this world to push us along. Understand the winds of this world, we know this, but it's sometimes a good healthy reminder. The winds of this world will not push you closer to Jesus, but they will definitely push you further away. If we allow ourselves to drift in the winds of the world. If you allow yourself to drift, you'll drift further from Jesus. If you allow yourself to drift, you'll drift further from the Bible. You'll drift further from church. You'll drift further from anything righteous, okay? If you just set your sails, put it in coast and drift, you will drift further away. I've seen this several times in my short life. And of course, we've all seen it even recently through the pandemic in the past two and a half years or whatever. We've seen this through COVID. I know you've seen it as well. I'm not trying to be insensitive. I'm always trying to be cautious when I bring something like that up. But understand, over the past two years, this time of history has caused some believers, listen, just simply drift away, drift away from their Bible, drift away from the faith, drift away from the truth, drift away from the church, drift away from fellowshipping with other believers, drift away from the faithfulness to God. It hasn't caused them to drift away from the restaurants or grocery stores, but just church. But uh, anyway, okay, I'll stop there. <laughs> but it's caused people to drift I hope you understand my heart on this. I'm not mad at anybody. I promise I'm not. Not up in arms, don't have a fight to pick. But I hope you understand my heart is this, I'm burdened. I'm burdened for believers. I'm burdened for the flock of God, sheep. I'm burdened for friends, family, others, just burdened. Burdened for our churches, burdened for believers. Listen, just to come back and stop drifting. Because this drifting is causing so much chaos in hearts and in homes. And all they need to do is come back. Come back to the Lord. And stop drifting 
alone. We need the Lord. We need him. In our text, it would seem, as Peter was put in fear, he began to drift, drift back once again. And if this spiritual giant like Peter, the apostle Peter, can drift, we need to understand this evening we all can drift as well. We all have that temptation to drift, but we need to combat it. So how do we combat drifting? All right. Let's look at a few things this evening, how to combat drifting, okay? So the dangers of drifting, how do we combat it? All right, number one, we can combat it this way through correction, all right, through correction. Look at our text. Let's just start back in our verse number 11, all right? And let's read down through verse, uh, verse number oh, 14, 14, all right, verse number 11. But when Peter was come to Antioch, I withstood him to the face, because he was to be blamed. For before the certain came from James, he did eat with the Gentiles. But when they were come, he withdrew and separated himself, fearing them which were of the circumcision. And the other Jews disassembled likewise with him, insomuch that Barnabas also was carried away with their dissimulation. But when I saw that they walked not uprightly according to the truth of the gospel, I said unto Peter before them all, If thou, being a Jew, livest after the manner of Gentiles and not the Jews, why compellest thou the Gentiles to live as do the Jews? Here's what Paul has done. He has come and he's come face to face with Peter and withstood him to the face. Now, he is doing this. He is correcting Peter. Now, understand, we've hit on this a couple of weeks ago, so I'm not going to stay here very long, but it's good to help our, have our memories jog just a little. You see, as Peter began to drift, Paul had to correct him. Now, I would dare say that most of us do not like to be corrected. Anybody here you love, you, you just cannot wait till you get up in the morning and you're just corrected every time. Anybody love it? You just love it. You say, yeah, man, I'm married. Of course I love it. Yeah, no, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Terrible joke. Okay. All right, but anyway, I would say none of us like to be corrected. And none of us like to be told we're wrong. Anybody like to be told you're wrong? Okay, nobody does. Nobody likes to know or be told they're wrong. No one likes to be corrected. But in order to be corrected, we have to know where we are wrong. And this is what Paul did to Peter. He told him where he was wrong. And we looked at this last time. He used questions to inquire about this, right? His inquiry. He inquired about this. And listen, it's good. Questions are good. They stir the conscience, but accusations harden the will. We need to be questioned every now and then to keep us on the straight and narrow, especially if we're not on the straight and narrow. It's good to be corrected every now and then, especially when we're not doing what's right. But he was doing these questions to get Peter to see the error of his way and to do what was right. But then he did this most importantly. He corrected him doctrinally. He went to the truth. He went to the word of God and showed Peter where he was wrong. Because listen, truth is always truth. And it's going to be truth to every generation. I don't care if the generations change. God's word will never change. Truth will never change. So listen, he corrected him with truth doctrinal error that he was part of at the moment, right? He began to drift away. He began to tell him, look, salvation is not by keeping a set of rules, not by keeping the law. No, salvation is by grace through faith in Christ alone. It's by grace through faith. So he corrected him doctrinally. And he told him, listen, several times here, actually in verses 16 and 17, he used the word justified four different times. He said, we're not justified by the law. We're justified by faith in Christ. And see, Peter knew this. 
Peter knew this, and that's why he was coming down on him a little bit harder than he, maybe he would have a, uh, uh, a young baby believer, okay? Because Peter knew where salvation comes from, and it's of the Lord Jesus Christ. So he corrected him through questions, and he corrected him by using the Scripture. He corrected him. Why? Well, because Peter was wrong. He was wrong. But he didn't do this. Understand, Paul did not do this with the wrong kind of spirit, or he didn't do it out of, out of uh, a wrong control kind of thing. He did it in the right spirit. And by the way, Peter needed to be corrected. So how can we, as we begin to drift, how do we get back on track? Well, sometimes, listen, understand something. It takes correction. We need to be corrected. Every now and then, we need to be corrected. Do you like it? No. Do I like it? No. But do we need it? Yes, from time to time. We need to be corrected. All right. Here's where I want to get to this evening. You see, Peter was being corrected, but number two, and lastly, aren't you glad there's only two points? Don't say amen. All right. Can't you say amen? Oh, man, it's the wrong spot to say amen. Anyway, all right. But not only was it corrected, but he had to do this. Yes, Peter was corrected, but number two, Peter had to make a choice. Peter had to make a choice. How do we combat drifting? How do we combat drifting away from truth, from faith, from church, from everything we know to be right? How do we combat that? By making the right choice. Life is made up of choices. Did you know that? I know you do. It is. It's made up of choices. To get back on track, Peter needed to make the right choice. So, in doing so, Paul explains to Peter the choice he has made, that Paul has made, and that is found in verse number 20. Here's where I want to land. Look at it with me. Verse number 20. Paul's, Paul writing and speaking here, he says, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not frustrate the grace of God, for if righteousness came by the law, then Christ is dead in vain. But verse number 20, I am crucified with Christ. So this choice, number one, needs to be this. To get back on the right track, to stop drifting, it has to be a choice. Number one, this choice has to be this. It has to be personal. It has to be a personal choice. No one can make this choice for you. Your mama can't do it. Your daddy can't do it. Your grandma and grandpa can't do it. All right? You must make the choice on purpose and for yourself to do what is right. Take note in verse number 20. I'm going to read it again. And I want you to circle. If you have a habit marking your Bible, highlight, underline, circle, do something. But look at all these personal pronouns that Paul uses. Look at verse number 20 again. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. In the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. If you didn't count them all, there's eight of them. All right? Eight personal pronouns in this verse where Paul is telling Peter how he made this personal choice to live and to follow Jesus Christ. Now, I don't think Paul is trying to toot his own horn, okay? I don't think he's trying to highlight how good of a Christian he is or how bad of, a, bad of a Christian Peter might be. I don't think he's doing that at all, okay? He's just simply trying to point out the fact that this decision he has made to serve and follow Jesus, it was and is and continues to be a decision he made personally and on purpose and for a purpose. 
You see, just as it's a personal decision to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved, as Paul told the Philippian jailer in, in Acts chapter 16, that jailer had to make that personal decision. He had, to, he had to personally accept Christ as his Savior, as that's a personal choice, personal decision. It's also a personal decision to serve Jesus as well. Again, in verse number 20, he says this, about midway down, he says, The life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God. He is saying, look, this new life that we have, this new life that I have, it's a, it, it, that, I'm, that I'm living, it's a choice that I have made to live for the Son of God. But he does it by faith. Listen, it's a choice he made to serve, to serve God. Not to serve the law, but to serve God. It's a choice to follow Christ, not the traditions of man, as the Judaizers were doing. It was a choice, personal choice for him to follow Christ. And folks, this decision is one we must make as well. We must make the choice to serve the Lord or not. We must make the choice to follow God or not. And by the way, this choice is a daily one. It's a daily one. It's a daily choice we all must make. Listen to what Jesus said in Luke chapter 9 and verse 23. <clears throat> and he said to them all, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. Listen to what Joshua said in Joshua 24, 15. If it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom you will serve whether the gods of your fathers served on the other side of the flood or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. This is a personal decision. You must make it. No one can make it for you. You must make it every day when you get up. Am I going to serve myself or am I going to serve the Lord? Whenever you find yourself drifting, Drifting from what you know is true, drifting from what you know is right, drifting. Make the choice, personal choice, to begin to do what's right again. Make the choice. Number one, understand it's a personal choice. But number two, I want to see this as well. The choice to follow the Lord, understand it can be, not always, but it can be. Not every day, but in life, okay, this choice can be, to get back on track, away from drifting, this choice can be a painful one as well. It's interesting to note the words that Paul used as he was being led to pen this letter to the Galatian believers. He uses these words, look at verse 20 again. I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. But at the very beginning of this verse, he says, I am crucified with Christ. He did not say he was dead with Christ. He did not say he died with Christ. Rather, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God, Paul said, I am crucified with Christ. Now, as we read our Bibles, we get a little bit of understanding of crucifixion. That's about the only place we can really find a little bit about that, all right? Unless you go all the way back and study a lot of history, okay? But we get a little bit of a glimpse of what crucifixion was, was about. We understand this is how our Lord, the Lord Jesus Christ, gave his life upon 
the cross. The Bible says in Luke 23, 33, and when they were come to the place, which was called Calvary, there they led him and the malefactors, one on the right hand, the other on the left. Again, Philippians 2, 8, and it says this, being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself, became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Look, crucifixion is something that we get a glimpse of from Scripture. And uh, it was the worst form of capital punishment possible, especially at this moment, but really throughout history. This is probably the worst form of capital punishment a human could ever suffer. And Romans perfected it. They were very good at inflicted pain and inflicting fear upon people. They were very good at what they did. So they were very good with crucifixion. But in our 21st century mindset, it's hard to fathom the fullness and the fear of crucifixion. It's hard to fathom in our minds and in our emotion when the gavel came down and this, this sentence of pronouncement came upon the, the individual of crucify him. That fear that would flood the mind and heart of that individual. It's hard for us to truly 100% fathom what went through the heart and mind of that individual. It's hard to understand just how cruel the cross really was, just how horrid this type of death really was. It's hard to fathom the pain, the agony, the suffering that an individual would go through before they would finally lose all strength and suffocate to death. It's hard to fathom it. It's hard. But in the first century, as Paul is writing this letter, and he uses the word, I am crucified with Christ. They knew very well what he's talking about. They knew very well what he is meaning. They knew very well what it meant to be crucified. No doubt they have seen it with their own eyes. Maybe they have experienced it through their family, seeing a loved one suffer this, this fate of crucifixion. They're very aware of the suffering, pain, and agony. So when Paul says, I am crucified with Christ, he is painting a perspective in his following of Christ. He's letting them know, at the very least, there can be pain in following the Lord. There can be some pain in doing what's right. Because it's not always easy dying to self. It's not always easy dying to the flesh. It's not always easy giving up my wants and desires of what I want for my life in exchange for what Christ wants for my life. That's not always easy. It's not always easy to get... Stop from drifting it back on track. That's not always easy. It's not always easy. Dying to the flesh. Dying daily, as Paul says. I want you to understand something. It is hard. And it ain't easy. Can we all agree to that fact this evening? I believe Paul knew this truth. As no doubt he combated his flesh time and time again. He said these words in Romans chapter 7, verse 18 through 25. For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing, for to will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good I find not. For the good that I would, I do not. But the evil which I would not, that I do. Now, if I do that what I, I would not, it is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. I find then a law, that when I would do good, evil is present with me. For I delight in the law of God after the inward man, but I see another law in my members warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. Oh, wretched man that I am. Who shall deliver me from the body of this death? 
I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then with the, the mind, I myself serve the law of God, but the flesh, the law of sin. Listen, Paul admitted his flesh fought against him. He admitted that he fought against his flesh. And fighting this flesh was not an easy thing for him. And listen, it's not an easy thing for us today either. So fighting our flesh, dying to self, Dying to our flesh, doing what is right, it's not always easy, and it can be painful. It can be. Because when you want to do what's right, not everybody around you wants to. You may have some friends at school, you want to do what's right, but they may not want to. You have family that you're with, you want to do what's right, but they may not want to. It can be painful. It can be painful. I want you to notice this lastly. Not only is this decision to get back on track and stop drifting, a personal choice, not only is it can be a painful one, but understand something, it is the proper one. It's right choice to make. It is the proper choice to make. Though it's not always easy, getting back on track, doing the right thing, dying to self, understand it's always the right thing. It's not the easy thing, but it's always the right thing. And following Jesus is not always easy. But it's always right. Even Paul could admit to that fact. Several times throughout Scripture you can see Paul where he suffered so much as he's simply following Christ. It was, it was Lord Jesus that led him through the Holy Spirit that led him to Philippi. What happened at Philippi? That dude went to jail again, all right? He suffered many stripes. He was beaten and thrown in prison. But who led him there? It was the Lord. As he's following Christ, he felt some pain. All right, but listen, it was the right thing. Why? Because through that, a church was planted, a church was started, and we have a book of the Bible named after this church that you and I can get our joy from today. It's not always easy, but it's always right. It's always right. So you find yourself drifting today, maybe just a little bit. You say, why are you preaching this kind of message to us on Wednesday evening? Well, who are the ones that begin to drift except for the ones that are the faithful? So you find yourself beginning to drift. Make the choice. Do what's right. Get back on track. and Do what's right. Peter needed to make that choice. Paul corrected him. Show him where he was wrong. Hey, man, let's get this right. Let's make this, let's make this right. Make this personal choice. Here we go. Let's not drift. Let's not drift any longer. Let's set ourselves towards heaven, do what's right, and pursue Christ and follow 